Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, May 28th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the SolarWinds hackers are back, and I'm starting to fear the escalation of a cyber cold war here. Mark Garman thinks we'll see redesigned AirPods this year. Have I been pwned goes open source. And come for the long read suggestions as always, but stay for my rant about that insane citizen app story. Microsoft is reporting that the SolarWinds hackers are back and that they've hacked email systems used by the State Department's International Aid Agency in order to attack human rights groups and other organizations critical of Russia's President Vladimir Putin. Remember, we don't know how long the SolarWinds hackers were in the various systems they penetrated last year, and we don't know what sort of booby traps and hidey holes they installed for themselves for later use. Perhaps this is that coming home to roost quoting the New York Times. Hackers linked to Russia's main intelligence agency surreptitiously seized an email system used by the State Department's international aid agency to burrow into the computer networks of human rights groups and other organizations of the sort that have been critical of President Vladimir Putin, Microsoft Corporation disclosed on Thursday. The newly disclosed attack was also particularly bold. By breaching the systems of a supplier used by the federal government, the hackers sent out genuine-looking emails to more than 3,000 accounts across more than 150 organizations that regularly received communications from the United States Agency for International Development. Those emails went out as recently as this week, and Microsoft said it believes the attacks are ongoing. The email was implanted with code that would give the hackers unlimited access to the computer systems of the recipients, from stealing data to infecting other computers on a network, Tom Burt, a Microsoft vice president, wrote on Thursday night. The original SolarWinds attack went undetected by the U.S. government for nine months until it was discovered by a cybersecurity firm. In April, President Biden said he could have responded far more strongly to the attack, but, quote, chose to be proportionate because he did not want to, quote, kick off a cycle of escalation and conflict with Russia, end quote. The Russian response, nonetheless, seems to have been escalation. The malicious activity was underway as recently as the past week. That suggests that the sanctions and whatever additional covert actions the White House carried out in response to the SolarWinds hack, part of a strategy of creating seen and unseen costs for Moscow, has not choked off the Russian government's appetite for disruption. A spokesperson for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at the Department of Homeland Security said late Thursday that the agency was, quote, aware of the potential compromise at the Agency for International Development and that it was working with the FBI and U.S. aid to better understand the extent of the compromise and assist potential victims, end quote. Microsoft identified the Russian group behind the attack as Nobelium and said it was the same group responsible for the SolarWinds hack. Last month, the American government explicitly said that SolarWinds was the work of the SVR, one of the most successful spinoffs from the Soviet-era KGB. The same agency was involved in the hacking of the Democratic National Committee in 2016, and before that, in attacks on the Pentagon, the White House email system, and the State Department's unclassified communications." End quote. It's Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu, Apple Scoop Friday. The pair say that Apple is planning redesigned AirPods to come out this year and second-gen AirPods Pro to come out in 2022, which will include updated motion sensors for fitness tracking. Quote, 
The new base AirPods will mark the first update to the product since March 2019 and will add a new design that mostly mirrors that of the AirPods Pro. The AirPods will come with a new case and shorter stems poking out of the bottom of each one, but the AirPods Pro coming next year will be the first change to that product since October 2019 and will include updated motion sensors with a focus on fitness tracking, the people said, asking not to be named because the plans are private. As part of its broader home, audio, and accessory strategy, Apple has also begun early development of a HomePod speaker with a built-in screen, as well as a device that combines the features of a HomePod, FaceTime camera, and Apple TV, Bloomberg News has reported. Competition for speakers with screens is already widespread. Apple released a HomePod mini speaker last year and outlined a minor update to the Apple TV set-top box last month. For the new AirPods Pro, Apple has also tested a smaller design that eliminates the stems. That look will debut on new Beats-branded wireless earbuds planned to be announced next month, end quote. Have I Been Pwned has, as promised, gone open source, starting with the Pwned password code. Also, the FBI is going to begin sharing compromised passwords discovered in investigations with the site. Quoting ZDNet, Why is the FBI getting involved? Because Brian A. Vordan, the FBI's assistant director, Cyber Division, said, quote, We are excited to be partnering with HIBP on this important project to protect victims of online credential theft. It's another example of how important public-private partnerships are in the fight against cybercrime, end quote. The FBI passwords will be provided in SHA-1 and NTLM hash pairs. HIBP doesn't need them in plain text. They'll be fed into the system as they're made available by the Bureau. To do that, Have I Been Pwned is adding on a new open-source program, Pwned Passwords, to let the data flow easily into HIBP. HIBP founder Troy Hunt, security expert and Microsoft regional director, explained he's open-sourcing the code because, quote, the philosophy of HIBP has always been to support the community. Now I want the community to help support HIBP. HIBP is written in .NET and runs on Azure. People check the free HIBP site at a rate of almost 1 billion requests per month. It collects data from all the many personal security breaches that happen every week or two. Hunt says he could, quote, proverbially lift and shift pwned passwords into open source land in a pretty straightforward fashion, which makes it the obvious place to start. It's also great timing because, as I said earlier, it's now an important part of many online services, and this move ensures that anybody can run their own pwned passwords instances if they so choose. Hunt hopes, quote, that this encourages greater adoption of the service, both due to the transparency that opening the code base brings and the confidence that people can always roll their own if they choose. Maybe they don't want the hosted API dependency. Maybe they just want a fallback position should I ever meet an early demise through an unfortunate jet ski accident. This gives people choices, end quote. As Emil Protolinsky pointed out on Twitter, sometimes one person's work really can make a significant difference in the world. How could this project take off from here? Well, imagine just one scenario from Sean Scott on Twitter, quote, if banks and fintech want to have trust front and center, why not leverage services like this one to tell customers whether their passwords are compromised, end quote. Imagine that. Imagine proactively alerting and protecting your own users.
Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at CutsClothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. CutsClothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. And look, just read this first one. If you've never read any of my long read suggestions before, read this one. Because this is one of the worst, wildest things I've ever read in my 22 years in the tech industry. It's from Motherboard slash Vice, and it involves that Citizen app that we recently talked about, you know, how they're hiring private security forces, vigilantism on demand. Well, if possible, if this story is true, it's even worse. Like, it seems that vigilantism is an actual growth hacking strategy that they're employing. Like, Really, read the whole thing. They're flooding users with notifications about crimes to make them anxious enough to pay up for the Citizen Premium service. It's gross. In fact, I'm just going to read the whole lead to the piece so you can see how gross it actually is. Quote, Andrew Frame was excited. It was Saturday night two weeks ago, and Frame, the CEO of the crime and neighborhood watch app Citizen, was on Slack, whipping himself and his employees into what he'd later call at an all-hands meeting a, quote, Fury of passion about a wildfire that had broken out earlier that afternoon in Los Angeles' Pacific Palisades neighborhood. 
Citizen had gotten a tip that the wildfire was started by an arsonist, and Frame had decided earlier in the night that the fire was a huge opportunity. Citizen, using a new live streaming service it had just launched called On Air, would catch the suspect live on air with thousands of people watching. Frame decided the Citizen user who provided information that led to the suspect's arrest would get $10,000. Frame wanted him. Before midnight, as the night wore on, Citizen got more information about the supposed suspect. They obtained a photo of a man, which they kept up on the live stream for large portions of the night. More information trickled in through a tips line Citizen had set up. Citizen said, The information about the person of interest came from an on-the-ground tip from an LAPD sergeant, followed by emails from local residents who had been approached by LAPD officers. First name? What is it? Publish all info, Frame told employees working in a citizen slack room who were working on the case. Find this fuck, he told them. Let's get this guy before midnight. He's going down. Breaking news, this guy is the devil. Get him, Frame said. By midnight, we hate this guy. Get him. He was growing impatient. He increased the bounty to $20,000. Thousands of people were watching Citizen's live stream, but the man still hadn't been caught. Frame asked his staff to send out another notification, one that would hit all Citizen users in Los Angeles. The bounty had to go higher. Close in on him. 30K. Let's get him. No escape. Let's increase. 30K, Frame said. Notify all of LA. Blast to all of LA. Citizen is on air. Arsonist Pursuit continues the notification, which went out to 848,000 Citizen users in Los Angeles said. We are now offering a $30,000 reward for any information directly leading to his arrest tonight. Tap to join the live search, end quote. In the Slack room with Frame, one staffer brought up a loophole, pointing out that Citizen was violating its own terms of service that prohibit, quote, posting of specific information that could identify parties involved in an incident, end quote. The staffer who brought brought up the terms of service violation was ignored in that specific Slack room, and the broadcast continued to specifically name the person and share his photo for hours. Earlier in the night, soon after the news of a fire broke, Frame said he saw the fire as a chance to catch a suspected arsonist live on the internet, therefore proving citizens' utility to users and helping the app grow. Quote, the more courage we have, the more signups we will have. Go after bad guys, signups will skyrocket period. We should catch a new bad guy every day, Frame said. At one point, Frame said, quote, these metrics will be great. And they were. At one point, 40,000 people were watching the live feed, according to the Slack messages. Citizens saw a sharp spike in signups as the live stream spread. Frame said at a later all-hands meeting that 1.4 million people engaged with the content, according to other Slack messages. Well after midnight, Los Angeles police made an arrest. In a separate slack room, employees cautiously began to celebrate. Cops said, it's an ongoing investigation. This looks like our guy, one employee wrote. It wasn't Citizen's guy. Frame and the entirety of the Citizen apparatus had spent a whole night putting a bounty on the head of an innocent man, end quote. I was really tempted to do a much longer rant on this, but I'll settle for this take. People ask a lot about my biases and point of view when I do this show. I'm a multi-time founder. I'm still an angel investor. So do I have the founder perspective, the investor perspective? Do I have the journalist perspective? I would never call myself a journalist, not because I'm one of those knee-jerk Silicon Valley types who hates journalists, but because I actually respect journalism as a craft. I respect all crafts. Even though I do something on this show that is journalism adjacent, I didn't go to school to learn how to do it properly, so I would never deign to be a practitioner of a craft that I didn't properly train for. 
My editorial stance on this show is that I love tech. It's the only industry I've ever worked in. It's all I've ever really known, since before I was an adult even. But because I love tech so much, I desperately want it to be better. I'm one of those people who drank the Kool-Aid and really believes tech can change humanity for the better. So when I see tech used for evil, venal, lazy shit, I get pissed. Growth hacking has always had a mixed connotation. Moving fast and breaking things includes the breaking things part. It's right there in the name. And I'm not naive or moralistic about this. My third startup got to 200,000 users basically because we spammed the hell out of LiveJournal back in 2005. But your growth hacking does not get to destroy the fabric of the society that my kids live in. Your quest for engagement does not give you the right to create a running man-style dystopia. This is not hyperbole. This is exactly what they're doing here. Oh, designing for virality, for engagement, by creating the environment for doom scrolling, for showing people things that enrage them. That's bad enough. That's bad enough for people. That's bad enough for society. Designing your product to scare people, though, so much so that you're literally creating actual mob behavior is beyond morally reprehensible. I'd even say it's borderline illegal and actionable. Anyone involved in this, if this story ends up being true, has lost their moral compass full stop. Next, lots of folks have been sharing Packy McCormick's bull case for Ethereum piece this week, and I'm sharing it because I think that this has rapidly, over the last few months or so, sort of become the consensus opinion, at least among folks in Silicon Valley who I talk to who are deeply into crypto. And it boils down to this, really, quote, Ethereum is so many things at once all of which feed off each other. Ethereum, the blockchain, is a world computer, the backbone of a decentralized internet, Web3, and the settlement layer for Web3. Bitcoin is easy. It's digital gold. It's a store of value. It just kind of sits there. Ethereum is so much more than a cryptocurrency. It's a world computer and the value layer of the internet. It lets people build apps and products with money baked into the code. If you believe that Web3 is going to continue to grow, then you likely believe that over time, Ethereum will become the settlement layer of a new internet. All sorts of transactions, whether they happen on Ethereum, another blockchain, or even Visa, will turn to Ethereum to exchange funds and keep secure, immutable records. A year ago, I wouldn't have said that. But I'm increasingly convinced that ETH will become one of the best assets to own over the next five years. Here's the bull case in a nutshell. Owning ETH is like owning shares in the internet. Demand for ETH will go up with increased Web3 adoption, while upcoming changes will decrease the supply of ETH and let more value accrue to holders. It's like a tech stock, a bond, a ticket to Web3, and money rolled into one, end quote. Next, I've often said that if I could do it all over again, maybe I'd come back as an economist, because I love stories like this one from the New York Times about the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. If you know of the Lehigh Valley, you might know the city's Allentown, Bethlehem. This was one of the places the Industrial Revolution happened in the U.S. in the 19th and 20th century. But it's also rural, lots of farmland, so cheap land. Add to that the Lehigh Valley's proximity to the New York and Philadelphia metro areas and two major interstate highways that go through the valley, and that means that about 30% of all American consumers are just a day's truck drive away from the Lehigh Valley. So, 
Now, there is a gold rush for building, you guessed it, warehouses and fulfillment centers in the Lehigh Valley. Quote, there are now almost as many warehouse and transportation jobs in the region as manufacturing positions, but it's not a milestone all celebrate, not in an area that hopes to keep alive its higher-paying manufacturing sector, even though some of its biggest employers, like Bethlehem Steel, closed down long ago. Manufacturing jobs in the Lehigh Valley pay, on average, $71,400 a year compared with $46,700 working in a warehouse or driving a truck. The region is still home to large manufacturing plants that produce Crayola crayons and marshmallow peeps candies. Don Cunningham, the chief executive of the Lehigh Valley Economic Development Corporation, says the warehouse jobs are lifting employment and wages, particularly for unskilled workers. Quote, if you were to turn away this economic opportunity for a whole sector of workers, where do they go? Mr. Cunningham said. They could end up on some sort of government assistance or end up caught up in the criminal justice system, end quote. Mr. Cunningham, whose father worked in the local steel industry, said he recognized that distribution jobs were not ideal, quote, but to be able to make $16 an hour with a high school diploma, there aren't a lot of places in the U.S. where you can do that, he said. This is a really nice sector for low-skilled workers. It at least gives them a fighting chance to carve out a livable wage, end quote. And then finally, one more from the New York Times. The magician David Burgless has perfected what magicians consider the greatest card trick ever devised. But David Burgless is 94, and he swears he can't teach the trick to a next generation of magicians. Quote, It's not a secret I can give to anyone because it's not a secret as such, Mr. Burgless, a formal and intense 94-year-old, said at his home in North London. It's like asking a musician who can improvise to teach you his improvisations, which of course he can't, end quote. The trick is a version of a classic plot of magic called Any Card, Any Number. These tricks are called ACAN in the business. ACAN has been around since the 1700s, and every iteration unfolds in roughly the same way. A spectator is asked to name any card in a deck, let's say the Nine of Clubs. Another is asked to name any number between 1 and 52, let's say 31. The cards are dealt face up, one by one. The 31st card is revealed, and of course, it's the Nine of Clubs. Cue the gasps. For all their differences, every ACAN has one feature in common. At some point, the magician touches the cards. The touch might be imperceptible, it might appear entirely innocent, but the cards are always touched. With one exception, David Burgless's version of ACAN. He would place the cards on a table, and he didn't handle them again until after the revelation and during the applause. There was no sleight of hand, no hint of shenanigans. It was both effortless and boggling. Among magicians around the world, his touchless ACAN is one of the most talked about and puzzled over tricks in history. It was eventually labeled the Burgless Effect and helped make its creator's reputation in a career that spanned six decades. Over the years, a number of magicians have reported private one-on-one performances of the Burgless Effect that left them stupefied, end quote. And now the question is, will the secret to the trick die with Burgless? Something, something, The Prestige Part 2. Okay, big programming note for you. Monday is a bank holiday here in the U.S., so we will not have a normal weekday show for you on Monday because I'm taking the day off. But I will have plenty of content for you on Monday because 
On Monday, we're going to release the Twitter space that we did this week talking about the streaming wars, talking about Tesla. But even better than that, I'm going to give you several more hours of Twitter spaces because, well, you'll see. Look for a special announcement episode on Monday explaining how we're going to do the Twitter Space episodes going forward, including giving you access to Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse Rooms from a bunch of other prominent tech voices all in one place. Look for that on Monday and enjoy. Also, Ride Home Plus subscribers, an interesting raises episode drops mere hours after this episode goes live. If you went in on that and you're not a Ride Home Plus subscriber as ever, subscribe at tech.supercast.tech. But seriously, everybody, watch your feeds on Monday for our big new announce. I'm super excited about this. Talk to you on Tuesday.